guys and welcome to booze bullshit and true crime i'm brie i'm wade and we don't really have a fancy intro for you but we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some gnarly shit though absolutely get us started okay so for today's episode we thought fresno california crimes would be fitting um wade you were raised in fresno local yep any sentiments on that Absolutely not. That's why I moved out. Gotcha. <laughs> well, in that respect, I have some crazy Fresno headlines to get us started. So if you're not from Fresno or have never been there, this can kind of give you a feel of what it's like. I'm reading these verbatim, by the way. I have not altered these in any way. And both of them came up on national um, news articles. So they are real. California man caught breakdancing after breaking into building, police say. A man charged with stealing a laptop from a California business was caught on video breaking out into some dance moves right in front of a security camera. Police say they later tracked him down with the stolen goods and booked him into Fresno County Jail on suspicion of possession of stolen property and providing false information. There was no word on whether or not he has since broke out into another robot-style dance, one that would have to be, this time, from inside his cell. <laughs> Recently, a woman in Fresno, California was stopped at a DUI checkpoint for being sauced. Ever helpful, she offered up the info... My husband's right behind me, and he's even drunker than I am. Sounds like you. <laughs> she was being pretty helpful. Um, I have help a little... get out of a ticket. That's going to help her get out of a ticket? <laughs> Not just get double tickets that they That's have to true. pay for out of their bank account? Yeah. <laughs> um, I have some background on Fresno and some crime rates and statistics. Fresno is near the geographical center of California. North Fork is the actual center of California, which yeah, is yeah. closer to where we live now, actually. Uh, Fresno lies approximately 220 miles north of Los Angeles, 170 miles south of the state capital, Sacramento, and 185 miles southeast of San Francisco. I'm sorry for our rooster in the background. Nothing we can do about him. No, I mean, I've been trying to talk Wade into making a chicken stew out of him, but he's not going for it yet. Mm-mm. Uh, Yosemite National Park is about 60 miles to the north of Fresno. We also got Kings Canyon National Park and Sequoia <laughs> National Park close to us as well. I didn't know that Fresno was founded way back in 1872. It was a railway station and it was incorporated in 1885. The city has since become an economic hub of Fresno County in the San Joaquin Valley, and much of the surrounding areas in the metropolitan Fresno region predominantly are tied to large-scale, Jesus Christ, agricultural production. Um, so like we said before, it smells like cow, cow shit. shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Fresno is also home of Kai the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. I think he died, but that video that was taken of him initially was indeed in Fresno. 
If you haven't seen that, go check it out on YouTube. It's a barrel of laughs. Um, Amber Fry was living in Fresno during the Scott Peterson trial. He was Scott Peterson's sad girl. Helped get him caught. I remember that happening. We were both young, but I remember that being all over the news. Damn it. Oh, Scott. <laughs> so, crime rates and statistics. I was getting a lot of the information I have on here from NeighborhoodScout.com. And Fresno was rated 7 in their crime index. 100 being the safest. <laughs> so there's that. Um, annual crimes as of 2016, I believe. Violent crimes was over 3,000. Uh, property crimes are over 20,000. So there's a whole lot of theft going on in Fresno, which... I've experienced. Yeah. My fucking car got stolen. <laughs> yep, by our ex-boyfriend. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, At least we got back with the full tank of gas. Yeah, but all my fishing tackle and both of our fishing poles are gone out of the backseat. That's back replaceable. Seat. Yeah, car wasn't very replaceable, well, I guess. Plus, we had gas to get to the fishing store to get all the new shit, so. True. But Boom. Win-win. He, he couldn't even steal it because he couldn't drive a stick shift. Like, again, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> That's another story. Okay. So, some Fresno, California crime analytics. Uh, with a crime rate of 41 per 1,000 residents, Fresno has one of the highest crime rates in America. One's chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime or property crime, which are the two highest types of crime in Fresno, are 1 in 22. So out of 22 people, one person is going to be the victim of one of those two things. Luckily, I never had any violent crime, but I definitely had property crime happen to me while I was down there. Um, as of 2017, robberies account for 4.1% of crime, assaults 7.6%. Arson, 0.9%. Auto theft, 11.9%. Rape, 0.7%, which I'm sure it's a lot higher than that, but I know a lot of that stuff doesn't go reported. Burglaries, 15.6%. Murders, 0.2%. And theft, 58.9%. Sticky fingers, everybody. I know. 28.4% of the population does live below the poverty line, so I think that does kind of exacerbate the crime rate in Fresno. There's a lot of desperate people in Fresno. Yeah, but Fresno's cost of living is pretty decent. Hence why a lot of people just get stuck here. True. Well, everywhere in the surrounding area is expensive as fuck. Yeah. San Francisco, even Shaver. Yeah. Central Coast, LA. Yeah, exactly. So, now time for my story. Wade and I have each prepared a true crime story to tell you today. Mine's better than hers. Um, probably. <laughs> she went basic. She went basic white girl on us. Well, you For her first episode ever, she went basic white bitch. You wouldn't have known what my episode was on if you would have actually done your research yesterday. So when we recorded it the first time, you could have spoke as well. No, mine was just rambling, so I put mine all together. It's going to be better. Just... Don't worry about it. All right. Don't so, feel embarrassed. Wade has heard it before, but these fine people out here have not yet. My story is on one of the biggest pieces of shit I have ever read about. His name is Marcus Wesson. 
and this story is pretty rough. Um, trigger warning, it does involve children, but I feel like it's worth being told. It's one of the more famous murders that happened in Fresno, um, but it's not really known on a worldwide scale. I don't see a lot of articles on it that weren't directly out of Fresno or the LA area. I'll start with a little background on Marcus himself. Um, his name was Marcus Delon Wesson. He was born in Kansas on August 22nd, 1946, and he was the eldest of four children. His parents' names were Benjamin and Carrie Wesson. He was raised as a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and Wesson claimed that his mother was a religious fanatic. His father was an alcoholic and a child abuser who abandoned the family when Marcus was a child. So he didn't have the greatest start. Um, Doesn't sound like it. No. I don't think that that makes it any better, anything that he ended up doing as he became an adult, but he, he had an interesting upbringing. By the beginning of the 1960s, Weston and his family had packed up and moved to San Bernardino. He had dropped out of high school and joined the Army in his late teens. He was stationed in Europe while he was in the Army. Shortly after leaving the military, though, he became involved with this married lady scandal. Her name is Rosemary Solorio. And somehow, this greasy-ass motherfucker made a good enough impression on Miss Rosemary for her to leave her husband and invite Marcus to move in with her and her children. Charming, charming. Seems like a good plan. By 1971, Rosemary had given birth to their first child together. It was a son. During the same time period, Wesson was cultivating an incestuous relationship with one of Rosemary's daughters. Her name was Elizabeth, and she was five at the time. Now, there wasn't any sexual abuse going on in the beginning, but there was definitely a romantic relationship that Wesson was starting to establish with Elizabeth. And I really looked around to see any statements that Rosemary had given, and I couldn't find any, which I'm not surprised about. I'm not surprised either. She I don't want to talk about that. But how can you... How can you allow that to happen in your home? That's, that's pretty bad. I mean, it gets worse. That's definitely not the worst thing that she ignored, but... Fast forward to 1974, and Elizabeth is about eight years old, and she was air quotes, married to Wesson in a home ceremony. Wesson had told the little girl that God had chosen her to be his bride. Um, the sexual abuse of Elizabeth started at about age 12 for her. Very sad. Sweet little baby girl. We're going to fast forward about three more years. Elizabeth is 15 and becomes pregnant with Wesson's child. At this point, they make their marriage legal. In total, Wesson and Elizabeth would end up having ten children between the two of them. Christ. <laughs> ten children starting at 15. One child did die in infancy, um, but she did birth ten of his little, little babies. His little demon children. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Wesson was extremely abusive to the women in his family, obviously. 
he did not allow Elizabeth to be a part of her children's upbringing that she had with him. Um, she was completely segregated from them, which I thought was pretty fucked up. I don't know how much she even got to see them, really. At some point during all of this, Elizabeth's younger sister showed up one day to the home and dropped off all seven of her children, claiming that she couldn't take care of them. She didn't have the capacity to do so anymore. That's 17 children in one house. And then there was children that Rosemary had. There was children that Rosemary and Wesson had. Mm -hmm. So. Plus then the children that Wesson had with the other daughters, too. Yeah. Because they were all married. Yeah. So who knows? I haven't gotten there plus. yet, but yes. <laughs> Sorry. Probably over, like, 20... Definitely over 20 people in that home. It's insane. Yeah, so she shows up, drops off her seven fucking crotch goblins, pieces out. Wesson started homeschooling all these children at a certain point, and he started teaching primarily from a Bible that he had written himself. The Bible mainly focused on the point that Jesus Christ was a vampire. Um, Vampire King was his nickname, and he was convinced that he was God, so that's where the Vampire King comes from. The family was only able to refer to him by the moniker of Master or Lord, which, like, let that sink in for a second. You can only call your dad Master. Yeah. (laughs) That is crazy. And they were homeschooled, so they were pretty well shielded from all of the outside world, for the most part, besides him and their family. This dude was also a prepper, so he preached that the Armageddon was coming, He taught his children that all of the daughters in the family were destined to be Wesson's future wives. So they all anticipated this happening to them, just like it did Elizabeth. All in all, he ended up sexually assaulting two of his daughters and four of his nieces. He married all of them in home ceremonies, as he did Elizabeth. And all of these girls, when they were wed to him, were from ages 7 to 9 years old during these ceremonies. Which... That's just a little baby. That's just wrong. And each of the five girls became impregnated as a result of the incest that was happening as well. The mothers never disclosed the paternity of their children because Wessons threatened to harm them and the children if they did so. Court records indicate that Wesson fathered up to 18 children with the seven women. So if he fathered 18 kids, there were seven that were dropped off and more existing. That's way more than 20. Yeah. (laughs) Ugh. Marcus forced the male and the female children to live separately, which I thought was interesting. Um, They were separated at all times. He feared that if this wasn't done, that they would start developing sexual feelings towards each other. Which just kind of shows... I think he maybe assumed everybody was like he was. Yeah. Which is not true. And if this guy couldn't be more of a piece of shit, add in the fact that Wesson could never hold down a steady job. He never had any kind of consistent income coming in for the family. He lived off welfare. Uh, He forced his adult children to work full-time and hand over their entire paychecks to him. 
But in 1989, Wesson was convicted of welfare fraud and perjury. And perjury means giving false statements uh, in court under oath, which shows how much of an idiot this dude was because he was caught on paper for welfare, welfare fraud and was, I didn't do it. Still lying. Yeah. I mean, deny, deny, deny until there's video evidence. Uh, if they have evidence of you on paper, though, especially if it has to do with the government like well, that, it's yeah. like tax evasion just at that point. You're fucking screwed, just like the situation was. <laughs> Jersey Shore crossover, what? Oh. Um, even though the adult children were working full-time and handing their paychecks over to Wesson to pay the bills, they were forced to live in run-down shacks, boats, and abandoned houses. So they had the home that they rented, which I think you said it was a four-bedroom house. You remember hearing? Yeah, something like that. Two-story, four-bedrooms, something. It was not huge. I read that it was a 1,000 square feet, so if it was four bedrooms, those are some tiny-ass bedrooms. Yeah. Um... And they had an abandoned boat on the property and then some shacks that they had thrown together as well. So that's how they fit all of these people in this small area and how he was able to segregate Elizabeth from her children and the male from the female children as well. Around 2004, Marcus started voicing his intention to relocate his family and all of his daughters and their children to Washington State. Both of his parents resided in the Washington State area, and he wanted to be closer to them. So, aw, how sweet. On March 12th, 2004, this is where it gets rough. Um, at 761 West Hammond Avenue, near the intersection of Olive Avenue and Golden State Boulevard, several members of Wesson's extended family, along with two nieces who had rebelled against Wesson and actually escaped um, from the family compound, they converged there on the property, demanding the release of their children by Wesson. So these girls had escaped and had to leave their children that Wesson had fathered with them there. They had been trying to get the children back. He was refusing, so those women showed up one day with other family members and said, Look, we need to have our kids back. Wesson again refused to give the children up, and Fresno Police Department was called. The call was categorized as a child custody issue. Um, a standoff outside the home did ensue. During the course of the standoff, Wesson did appear at first to be cooperative with police. Uh, he was listening to whatever, you know, direction that they were giving him. And the Fresno Police Department actually permitted Wesson to step away and go back into the house, into the back bedroom where his daughters were and the other children that he was going to have to release to say goodbye. So Wesson disappeared into that back bedroom to say his goodbyes to the children. And that, unfortunately, was a very big mistake on Fresno PD's part. Not that they knew any of this was going to happen, but after Wesson eventually reappeared, he was covered in what the officers had perceived to be blood, staining his shirt and his clothing. So at this point, Fresno PD made their entrance into that back bedroom of the home, and they found nine bodies of Wesson's daughters and their children. Each victim was shot through the eye, and the room was said to be filled with antique coffins for whatever reason. I still could never find out an explanation of that. Um, the women weren't in the coffins, though, which was the weird thing. 
Authorities had stated that it was a twisted scene of death in the house. The bodies were intertwined with clothing and stacked together in the center of a back bedroom. The bodies were said to be so badly intertwined that it took police hours to confirm the number dead. That's bad. Sounds intense. Yeah. Though PD claims to not have heard gunshots during the standoff, many bystanders refute this claim, saying they did indeed hear gunshots. Which, in my opinion, that's pretty strange. That's very strange. I can't think of a reason why, if cops heard gunshots, they would not. Yeah, I don't know. It's a civil case because child custody, I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to save their own ass. Maybe. But, I mean, you got other claims of bystanders saying that they did indeed hear a gunshot, which, in my, yeah... And there's so many children in that bedroom, like, you're just gonna let that guy walk back there unescorted, which I understand it was a civil matter at that point, but it got heated, like, when those women and family members showed up, they were mad. Yeah, I can guarantee you that, absolutely, I'd be too. So I just think in that case, I don't know, you never know with people, which... No, you don't, yeah, judgment call, Yeah, which was a bad one, but... It was a bad judgment call. Um, I am going to read all of the victims' names because I feel like that is the least that they deserve if we're telling their story. I'm going to say their names and their ages. Sabrina April Wesson, age 25. Elizabeth Brehi Kina Wesson, age 17. Isabel Carrie Wesson, age 8. Aviv Dominique Wesson, age 7. Jonathan St. Charles Wesson, age 7. Sidonia Solorio Wesson, age two. Marshy St. Christopher Wesson, age two. Ethan St. Laurent Wesson, age four. Jeva St. Vlastapri Wesson, age one. Those are all little babies. They're age one. And a lot of them were two as well. I mean, yeah. they were little babies. Thankfully, the other children were not present at the time. They remained unharmed, but... Nine is nine is a big number. Nine, yeah. With the, serial killer. Well, with the oldest being twenty five, like I'm not even twenty five yet. Yeah, exactly. Damn. Um, at his trial, many potential jurors were excused after claiming to be terrified to sit in the same room as Wesson, which I don't. I don't really blame those people. Have no. you seen this motherfucker? A curly head motherfucker. Hell yeah, I've seen him. He looks like Cleveland from Family Guy. <laughs> I like Cleveland, though. This guy doesn't have a mustache. That's true, but he does. If you shave the mustache off and put some gray dreads on top of Cleveland, yeah, that's him. So, just because he's an African-American fellow, that's who you're no, relating to? No, his facial to. structure, the way he talks and hangs his head, yeah. I guess lack of facial structure, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Shaped like a fucking coconut. He's that's just true. Yeah, he's all round around. on all sides. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I, I probably would find any way to excuse myself from any situation. I would have to spend time in a room with this guy. Um, the people of Fresno County were represented by Chief Deputy District Attorney Lisa Gamoian. Wesson was represented by Public Defenders Peter Jones and Ralph Torres. Now, these poor public defenders, I feel like this is like like rookie... Worst day on the job. <laughs> First case ever. 
He's scared shitless of his fucking client. <laughs> Everything, yeah. That dude probably. could just sit on most people and get. You're a big guy, and he could probably sit on you and break probably, you in yeah. half. Well, yeah. Not that he could probably fight very well, but he's heavy as fuck. Um, these public defenders, the only defense they really had was that Wesson's 25-year-old daughter, Sabrina, who's 18-month-old Marshy, Wesson's own son and grandson, by the way, was killed as well had herself committed the murders. So they were basically saying, even though it was involving this year-and-a-half-month-old little baby and she was the mom of it, she was the one that had committed the murders. And they had a really good case because the murder weapon, which was a twenty-two caliber handgun, was found with Sabrina's body. Um, Sabrina's DNA was all over the gun, and that actually lent credence to Wesson's claim that he wasn't the one, you know, behind the gun firing. The jury deliberated for over two weeks, and they declined to find Wesson the one that had fired the fatal shots, but they convicted him of murder anyway. They were presumably finding that he had persuaded the children to enter into some kind of suicide pact, which I agree with them. Um, I don't feel like there's enough evidence to convict him on the fact of him shooting them, but he's the only guy that walked out of there alive. He was covered in blood. And these were all children that he was the father or grandfather or both of that trusted him, that listened to him. Yeah, they made a good call. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with those jury members. Wesson was convicted on nine counts of first-degree murder on June 17th of 2005. And he was also found guilty of 14 counts of forcible rape and the sexual molestation of seven of his daughters and nieces. Now, I'm sure there were a lot more than that that had actually happened, but that's what they were able to convict him on. Wesson was sentenced to death on June 27, 2005. Now, I do have a little side story before I end. <laughs> um... One of my old co-workers' friends is a CO, a correctional officer, and he works at the prison where Wesson's being held on um, death row. And he told me on multiple occasions the correctional officer would go to check on Wesson or to collect him from his cell or whatever the fuck correctional officers do. And they would find Wesson jacking off into his hands and then using his lube. Sloop? Slooge? Smooge? Smooge? Semen. There you go. Yeah, that's correct. And he used it as like hair gel in his dread. So he would like jack off, staring at them in the face, and then like. That's disgusting. Onto his dreads. So. Marcus Wesson! Yeah! <laughs> Very well All done. Alright, now I can get drunk and listen to you. Go yes, forth you can. and be funny. So my first case pretty twisted and there's a couple cases that were tied in later on so this case is about a double murder and kidnapping of mary boomer and mark hatcher boomer. two <laughs> sorry i miss boomer two 15 year old cousins and the assault to intent or with intent to commit murder of rick donner and jack lurchies i'm pretty sure that's how you say it all this started around 7 p.m. on August 20th, 1980. The two cousins took off from Mark Hatcher's family home in Fresno County for an after-dinner bike ride. Mm -hmm. 
about 15, 30 minutes later, Mark's mother and grandma walked out to meet Mark and Mary before they returned home. As the two walked, they heard a single gunshot come from a distance. And it was pretty much from the orchard that was behind the house. And shortly after that, the two women saw a truck pulling out of the orchard on an access road. Wait, was it normal for them to hear gunshots out there? Uh, The mom and grandma, I'm assuming from the research that I did do... Seemed like it was not really that big of an occurrence, but they never had any that were, like, directly behind their home. So they just chilled after that happened? Okay. No, they kind of walked back home and kind of worried about the kids, and then that's when the story evolves, because the grandma and mother actually grabbed a flashlight once their worry became stronger, and they actually walked out to that same orchard and same access road, and... To their disbelief, they found Mark Hatcher shot in the face by a single gunshot on that same road at, from where that pickup truck was leaving. And and the examiners revealed later that the gunshot was fired from close range. Fuck. So around 8.20, and remember that this all started at 7, so about 7.30 is when the grandma and mom heard those two gu- or that single gunshot okay at 8:20, rick donner and jack Le- leachies i'm pretty sure that's how you say it i'm sorry that Let i'm butchering see. it jack oh god yes yeah, yeah. yeah I think, <laughs> i'm pretty sure it is i'm sorry if we I apologize it. Yeah. no disrespect they were in a parking lot at a bar about two miles away from the scene of where hatcher had been slain a pickup truck approached the intersection near the bar Somewhat erratically is what they're stated. The truck then entered the parking lot and Donner was able to actually observe the driver and later was identified by both Donner and Leachies. I'm I'm so sorry. I know for a fact that I'm butchering that dude's name. Anyways, he's... Yeah, anyways. (laughs) We're not popular enough yet. Nobody's going to talk shit to us. But... They had both identified the driver as Fernando, and again, I'm butchering the hell out of this guy's name, Erozo Caro. Donner told the authorities that Fernando was looking down at the seat or the floorboard of the truck cab. The pickup cut across the lot, and as it exited, its right rear fender swiped Donner's pickup, or parked car, sorry, causing a little bit of damage. Fernando did not stop, so Donner and Leachy's decided to chase him down in Leachy's car. After about five minutes of following Fernando, Fernando then pulled over to the side of the road and stopped. Donner Leachy pulling in behind, Fernando was already actually out of his car, standing facing the men. Question. Do they just think that this guy is the guy that hit their car and didn't stop, or do they know he was also leaving the house? No, they just, they're just pissed that he sideswiped Donner's car and just took off when they were both standing right there and watched him do it. So this guy was just hauling ass because he was coming from shooting What's-His-Face. They didn't say if he was speeding super fast or anything. He just was, he was driving erratically, and then as he came up to the intersection, instead of turning at the intersection, he cut through the parking lot. Gotcha. Which, again, they, you know... Donner and Leachy, I'm assuming, were just pissed off that, you know, Donner's car got sideswiped and the dude didn't even 
like hesitate or stop just kept going okay <coughs> so uh donner and Leechy were pulling up behind him and fernando actually was already out of his truck standing facing the men with his left hand hidden in the cab Leechy walked towards fernando and fernando put up his right hand and said don't hurt me several times Leechy asked him why he didn't stop i mean i would have i would have been pissed i would have been you know yelling at the guy I too yelling too yeah but the thing was, was as Leechy was walking towards him and asking him, you know, why didn't you stop? And he was yelling, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. That's when Fernando's body language and personality kind of changed. And Leechy actually stepped back into the road. And as he did that, that's when a bicycle was actually visible in the back of Fernando's pickup truck. Okay. And as Leechy was backing away is when Fernando withdrew his hand from the truck holding his revolver. He fired once at Leechy, hitting him above his right eye. Ah. That put Leechy down on the pavement. What's up with this guy shooting people in uh, the face? Exactly, and he was, you know, telling them not to hurt him and he got well, paranoid he... because Leechy was walking towards him and yeah, granted, you know, he just committed these other crimes, but Donner and Leechy didn't know that. Or he was trying to make himself have some sort of defense by saying, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. Like, oh, they were attacking. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Wow. It was, it was pretty intense. So, Fernando then turned and fired two shots at Donner. One of them only hit him in the thigh. And once Fernando pretty much fell to the ground as well, or not Fernando, as Donner fell to the ground, Fernando approached Leechy where he was laying on the road and shot him one more time in the chest. Ooh. He turned and fired two more shots at Donner, who by this time was trying to escape through an orchard that was on the side of the road. Both shots missed. Donner recalled hearing the bullets fly past him as he fled. He then heard Fernando's gun click empty for uh, after the second shot that was fired at him. Donner turned to see Fernando get back in his truck and just slowly drive away. Oh, just calm as all hell. Donner continued to escape through the orchard, and about 20 yards back there was a home. And surprisingly, this is the craziest part, Leechy actually made his way there short time after. Amazingly, he, with all his injuries, he got back into his vehicle that they followed Fernando and backed his car all the way down that driveway. Didn't he got have home. a bullet in his brain? He had brain? a bullet hole. He had a bullet in his skull. It was a, it was pretty impressive. But both men survived, and Leechy actually only was left functionally blind in one eye. How? So his skull probably caught the bullet, and it didn't. I don't, or the angle was bad. I have no idea. But again, he was shot at close range in the chest too, and Donner only got a gunshot wound to the leg. Okay, antidote. Do you remember Ripley's Believe It or Not? Yeah. I remember watching an episode, and there was a guy that was riding a bicycle, and he got shot in the head. And literally, like, I am not exaggerating. The top half of his head they had to remove because the bullet, like, went in the skull and then, like, bounced Bounced around around in the skull and, like, scrambled his brains like eggs. So he had, like, half a brain, and he was completely functional it like got specifically the things that he yeah. didn't need to function on a normal basis so he could mm-hmm. still walk and talk and feed himself and yep but i mean 
And the homeowner called the police and the ambulance, and both men survived the shooting. It was pretty intense. That's bonkers. Yeah, but remember that bicycle that uh, Leachy said that he saw in the back of Fernando's truck? Mm -hmm. That was the bicycle of Mark and Mary, and they were both found the next day in an irrigation canal about eight miles from the Hatcher home, which also is where Mark Hatcher was slain, was, okay. was killed. They were pretty much, he was pretty much executed. He was shot at close range in the head. I call that execution. Mm -hmm. So Mary, the Mark Hatcher's cousin Mary, her body was found five days later on August 20th or 25th in an orange grove, just about a few miles away. Authorities found Mary's Mary Boomer's found Mary Boomer shot in the head. Her body was found up against the lower branches of a tree. Her position was consistent with having fallen there or being dropped. She thankfully was fully clothed with no indiction of sexual activity. And it's crazy that that's, like, surprising. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, they killed her and they didn't rape her. How exactly. nice. But it sounds like Fernando was just in the orn or in the grove where the two kids were riding their bikes. And he just went up and shot them, threw the bike in there, left Mark laying there, threw the girl in the back of the car and took off. Question, though, did they not realize, because I know you said it was, what, the grandmother and someone else that were in the home that heard mm -hmm. those gunshots. Did they not realize that the girl was gone, too? I'm assuming they did, and that's why investigation kept going. Okay, okay. And that's how they related Fernando to the parking lot and the, the assault or attempt to commit murder to Jack and uh, uh, Donner. Okay. Which, yeah, I I don't know what the process really was with the investigation, but it pretty much sounds like they're trying to locate the bodies to put together the piece of puzzle. Mm-hmm. And within a few days of the incident, the Fernando supervisor at the chemical plant that he worked at in Fresno actually saw the police sketch in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, based on the Donner's description of the of his assailant, noted that it <laughs> it resembled uh, his his worker Fernando, and. The supervisor also recalled that uh, Fernando had owned an orange Chevy Stepside pickup, such as the one described in the newspaper account. Orange? Orange. That's the real crime here. It, it was an old that was Chevy pickup. That was in the, in the <laughs> 80s. Fernando actually had not been driving that pickup worked or pickup to work since the shootings. He had also seen him in the past with a large caliber handgun. The supervisor gave this information to the sheriff's department, and on August 25th, the same day that Mary was found, Fernando was arrested. And he was actually arrested at the chemical plant for murder and kidnapping. As Fernando was being escorted to the locker room to change his clothes, he broke free and ran, <gasps> but soon was caught. Meaning he, he, he didn't even get out of the plant. So he, he got, got fucking caught. tackled hard. Yeah, they didn't. In, in the police reports and the case files that I read, they didn't really state. But it did state that he had barely, he was almost out of the building when police officers, they said that they took him down. Shit. They didn't really state, you know, so what really happened. Him. Yeah, I am assuming, it was the 80s, so I'm assuming that they just clotheslined him and beat the shit out of him. Or that. Yeah. At the police station, he actually told the officers that he knew they were going to come 
get him. It was, or it it was because he looked like the person in the sketch. He said that's why he had shaved his mustache the day before. I'm sure that's exactly why, because people do that all the time. And then he parked his truck in the garage. Yep, exactly. That's not incriminating yourself whatsoever. He also told officers that there was damage to the side of his truck. Also, like you such look like as this... what they were seeking. Again, you're dumb. You're just incriminating yourself. They didn't even ask you those questions. You just gave it up to them. And you look like the sketch because you are the sketch. Exactly. <laughs> I was like your supervisor of all people called. I mean, now he just lost productivity because <laughs> he just got one of his workers fired. And it was in the morning. It wasn't even like after his shift. The motherfucker was still at work. Like, that was positively. It was you, bro. Like, Fuck, They're this positive. guy hasn't actually gotten arrested yet. I need to say something or I'm going to get my ass yeah. in trouble. So this guy does them even a better deal. He weighs his Miranda rights, plus denies being involved in either the Boomer or Booher and Hatcher killings or Donner or Lechie assaults on August 20th. He said he was at home with his girlfriend, Kathy Lozono. Lozono? Lozano. Lozano. Sorry, again, I suck with names. For, uh, from 4.30 onward. And that from 8 to 11 that evening, they were watching television. He gave police permission to examine him, or examine him, examine, examine him, examine oh. him, examine a three fifty seven Colt Python revolver Ooh. that was owned by Lozano and his orange Chevy stepside pickup truck that had the same damage and same colors. Yeah, you know right, right, what I mean? Right. It's right. It's not the truck, though. I promise. It's an unfortunate coincidence. Yeah, everybody owns an orange Chevy stepside pickup <laughs> in the 80s. It's the common car. It's like it's fucking 1990 Corolla nowadays. <laughs> he, said, he said that he normally drove the truck to work, but that around August 15th, a car had collided with it in the store parking lot. Oh, God. Right. Just and like, it just had like sustained... how a car collided with my dad's yeah. car in the parking yeah. lot. <laughs> And he and and it had sustained damage similar to that reported later done to the truck in the Donner Lechi assault. He said that after he heard about the incident, he thought the connection or the condition of the truck might arouse suspicion. Suspicion, so he decided to leave it in his garage and use Lozano's car to get to work. He denied that there had been a bicycle in his truck on the twentieth as well. So, police actually invest or interviewed uh, Kathy Lozano, and she stated that she had been away from the apartment between August 18th till midnight on August 20th, and that she had or that she did not have the pistol with her during that time. Uh, two or three hours before she returned on the 20th at midnight, she had a telephone conversation with Fernando. During that phone call, he actually told her that he had a hassle with two guys and had to pull the gun. Which, still, I mean, he had to the hassle with Donner and Lechi on the 20th and he pulled the pistol. Which, again, it's, it's not really helping his case no. at all. Police experts uh, determined that the bullet fragment removed from Hatcher's brain 
had been fired from Lozano's gun. <laughs> the same was true of the bullet recovered from the wall of the house, which was the house that Donner and Leachy fled to from their attacker. Okay. So now it places Fernando in both of those crimes. I would have been so, yeah. so mad if that just, was me. You're running wait, towards my fucking house yeah. and you're getting shot at. Thank you. Just wait. This shit gets... It gets fucking crazier. This dude is a fucking psychopath. Technically, he is a serial killer. And he's one of Fresno... Or was one of Fresno's death row inmates. Okay. Uh, the paint on Donner's car from the collision matched the paint on uh, Fernando's truck. Okay. The tire tracks at the site of the assault and near Booher's and Hatcher's body were consistent with the tires on Fernando's truck as well. Okay. Also, Donner recalled seeing the license number of the assailant's truck as either 379N or 30779N. Or but actually, the defendant's truck license plate number was 30997N, which is fucking damn near it. Mm. And uh, Caro, or at at his trial or sentencing for the double murder and the kidnapping plus assault of Jack and Don or Jack and or Donner and Lechi, he was convicted of the or was handed the death penalty by a Santa Clara court jury in nineteen eighty. Oh, so they actually took the case out of Fresno. Yeah, they actually got a jury from Santa Clara. And he was he was guilt. He was found guilty of first degree murder of Mark Hatcher and Mary Helen Booher, and the attempted murders of Jack Leachy and Rick Donner. And that's not the end. So there was another case that actually came across when I was doing some research yesterday because we were supposed to record our cases yesterday and. I didn't do my research. You done fucked up, bitch. I did. I did. But this case was uh, actually in Bakersfield, which... Actually? Was it actually? It was, yes. It was placed in Bakersfield <laughs> in an almond orchard in the farmlands about 11 miles north of Bakersfield. Actually. 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 Okay. So it was two teenage girls were driven deep into an almond orchard about 11 miles north of Bakersfield. Trucks passing the orchard on the 99 might have masked their screams. The younger girl, bound hand and foot, was taken out, shot once in the or once behind the left ear. The older girl, bleeding from a bullet wound in her thigh, was dragged only one row of trees away. She was laid down on her jacket and raped. Aww. After she was given time to arrange her underpants, it appears she was pulling on her jeans when the bullet smashed in her cheekbone. The girls' bodies were discovered in late in the er, in late afternoon by a farm worker, Juan Orano. Poor Ron. Juan. Juan? Not Ron. Oh. Juan. <laughs> Juan. Poor Juan. Oh, it was Juan. Checking the irrigation hoses, he saw them first face down in the green grass. No purses or identification were found. For five months, the case of the two girls got nowhere. In, uh, How old were they? Actually, I can't remember. They were 
I think they're 17, and then the oldest girl was either 17 to 19 as well. And they're pretty much, like, really identical to where they looked like they could have been sisters. But when uh, Kern County police were actually investigating it, they couldn't find missing people. No, no one was talking. They couldn't find a missing person report on these That's two girls. Weird. And they were both wearing really clean clothing they didn't look like runaways they didn't look like homeless girls they looked like somebody really took care of them so they Kern County thought that it was really weird uh, that no yeah. one came forward or that there is no police report about these girls yeah. and the oldest girl actually had a Walnut Creek High School ring so as the case was going nowhere once they kind of found out that that was one of their only leads that they had. They chased it down and come to find out the ring that the ring actually was a dead end. So the only real evidence that they had left was the bullet fragment found in the orchard plus a few pubic hairs. But law enforcement happened to catch an article in the newspaper about the murders of two 15-year-old cousins oh. in Fowler just two hours north of Bakersfield, Mark Hatcher and Murray Boomer. And the murder weapon found was a 357 Magnum Colt Python revolver, just what Bakersfield detectives were looking for to pair the bullet fragment to. That's awesome. So they just happened to like come across this. Yeah, literally. The wow. detective was literally just reading the newspaper and saw the articles because Fernando made headliner with fucking shooting at. Uh, the two men and then killing the two kids. Wow. It was it was pretty insane. And then, come to find out, actually, detectives from Kern County, Bakersfield, worked with Fresno and got ballistics testing, and it showed a positive match. Well, was this before CODIS? It was 1980, you said, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it was before CODIS, but at the same time, I they used the... Well, they just did the whole testing of the barrel and shit like that. But Shot two rounds out of each, you know, out of the barrel and tested them. Didn't they have DNA though? Like they had DNA. Yes, that's what related the bullet fragment to the case, and then they had the, you know, gun to identify marks from the bullet. Oh, but they didn't have hit the shooter's DNA to compare it against. So no. that's why I was asking. Okay, no, 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 no. All right. So, again, that gun belonged to Kathy mm -hmm. Lozano, and she was a, the waitress that Caro lived with in Fresno. At the time of the Bakersfield girls' killings, Lozano actually was staying with her mom in Arizona, and the gun was with Caro. Okay. So let's back up a little bit to when, or to before the Bakersfield girls were killed. Caro was married previously, and his wife was pregnant with their second kid. He had picked up a hitchhiking law clerk in San Diego. Hitchhiking law clerk? Yeah, she was a law clerk that worked in San Diego, and I guess she was trying to hitchhike out, go somewhere, I don't know. Hades were a wild ton, all right. Exactly. He drove her 50 miles into the desert and raped her. Caro was driving his victim deeper into the forest to kill her when she leaped out of the car and escaped. <gasps> yep. Ugh. 
So this was, uh, a, I think he was 1976. Okay. And Caro actually pled guilty to kidnapping and served less, less than two years at Tehachapi State Prison. He was, yeah, and the <laughs> Less warden, than two. Less than two years. And the warden actually said that he was a model inmate. But a kid can get caught with a good amount of heroin on them because they have a problem and they'll probably be in jail for longer than that. Yeah, exactly. And he raped a woman mm -hmm. and was trying to kill her. But also he was a model inmate, so he got good time served and shit. Oh, I don't give a fuck. Just because someone can behave correctly in prison or in jail, I don't think proves anything about how they're going to act when they get out. Yeah, I agree. So... He got paroled in 1978, and uh, as Easter of 1980 approached, only two years after his release, Kara was 30 years old and divorced, off parole, and working at the Fresno Chemical Plant. He spent the holiday weekend with his mother in Brawley and reported back to work that afternoon of Monday, April 7th. The Bakersfield girls were found two days later, the theory is that Caro picked up the girls somewhere along his uh, return route from Brawley to Fresno. He drove through Bakersfield, which at that time was the last large freeway town before Fresno. Wow. And actually it still pretty much is. Then took the first exit that led to any orchard of any size. Surprising part was, was Caro quit his job the day after the girls were found then returned a month later. Why? So, he returned a month later. Then three months later, the cousins and Fowler were murdered. Carl Carlos was arrested for that within days. Okay. So this was all within a five to six month period of time that he killed the two girls in Bakersfield, came home, and then killed the cousins and shot at Jack and uh, Donner. Well, and I'm trying to wrap my head around, because each time he had killed, it was multiple people. And, like, that's not an easy thing to manage even one person when they're trying to get away. I assume <laughs> when yeah. they're trying to get away from you and you're trying to murder them. Like, And each time it was two different women, so he had to have one tied up while he was doing whatever to the other one. Like, damn. Yeah, it was pretty nuts. So, uh, Kern County actually decided not to press charges or file charges against Caro. Oh, good. What they did instead was present the jury of the Fowler murders so that they could decide between life sentence or death penalty. Meaning that when they found out about the Bakersfield girls, Caro was already standing trial for the Fowler murders. So they just smushed it into one so trial? They didn't really smush it in, but they showed saying, hey, you know, this also happened, and, you know, this was only three months prior that he killed these two girls and left their bodies how raped that, and... How is that fair to those children's family, though? They deserve They're their still own. getting a justice, I guess. I don't know. That's just how... I've never heard that. That seems kind of fucked up. Yeah, and that's not where it ends, either. This motherfucker was... This motherfucker was in prison. For damn near 30 fucking years oh, before God. new DNA evidence also tied him to the kidnapping and murder of an 8-year-old Fresno girl oh, in 1979. So, like, in succession, just do, do, yeah, do. But he was on, he got paroled in 1978. 
this girl was killed in 1979, meaning that he got he paroled parole. and then killed this girl while he was on parole. <laughs> yep. And didn't get caught for it for over 30 years. So that kind of shows how long it took for DNA evidence and technology to advance. Well, they're still testing old DNA yeah, evidence. Yeah, absolutely, still. too. Yeah, and too. there. Do you know how many rape kits there are in this nation that have not been tested? I don't know the exact number, but I don't, yeah. that is not a priority either. There are so many, which obviously a murder is probably a way bigger deal than a rape, but still. Yeah. So the eight-year-old Fresno girl, her name was Victoria de Santiago. And her murder was actually a mystery for over 30 years. But new evidence pointing to Cara and our grateful Fresno police chief, Jerry Dyer, said in 2009, we know that Fernando Caro has killed at least five children and perhaps even more. Fernando, as he had his time in prison, he actually became a well-known artist prison artist and he sold his work all over the world as well as getting commissions for putting art in san quentin where he was on death row at i feel like i've heard of this dude oh wait i have another question about him too though so the first mark and was it marie was that her name yeah the first two that were kidnapped she wasn't sexually assaulted no she but wasn't. but then the next girls were but sexually assaulted. that the next pair of girls uh, Mary was 15, the next pair of girls was only the oldest one, which was 17 to 19 still. years old. And they still couldn't confirm it because of, uh, you know, like, agencies not working together yeah. and that uh, state law stating that, you know, missing people reports have to be put into the state database so everybody could access them and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Okay. Which that hadn't been developed just yet. I think that was, pr- I'm pretty sure that was, like, Eight, like 81, 82 or it so was, like that. I, believe, yeah. I don't know yet. I don't know. Don't quote me on that one. It was roughly during that time. Yes. But before uh, Carl's death, he had been appealing his death sentence. Or he was, he had appealed his death sentence and was reversed in 2002 by the Ninth Circuit Federal Appeals Court. Because now he's afraid to die. Mm-hmm. Which... They actually found that Caro did not have adequate legal representation. The court, uh, and re, you know, reversed his sentence from death penalty to life sentencing, or life sentence term, and uh, he actually remained on death row after Fre- uh, Fresno County prosecutors declared that their their intentions to retry him and again seek the death penalty. Good. And. On January 28th, which was a Saturday, at around 11.45 p.m., he was actually found dead in his jail cell at the age of 67 of uh, natural causes. Did you figure out what those natural causes were? Uh, no, I didn't say. Mm-mm. Probably heart disease, America. Yeah, and talking about death row inmates, since 1978... When California restated uh, capital punishment, 71 condemned inmates have died from natural causes, 25 have committed uh, suicide, 13 have been executed in California, one was executed in uh, Missouri, one was executed in uh, Virginia, eight had died from other causes, and three, including Caro, 
have their cause of death actually pending, which that was an old statement. He died of natural causes. Hmm. So he was one of the 71 or 25, 13 executed, hmm. whatever it was. But and he wasn't executed, though. No, well, on death row to be executed. He okay. died of natural causes. And there are currently 750 offenders on California's death row right now. That's why if you get on death row in California, like Mr. Wesson, he's probably never going to be fucking executed. And he's already not the youngest spry chicken out there. He'll mm -hmm. probably die long before his time comes to be executed. Absolutely. And actually, uh, once we get our Instagram page up and all that, I'll post some pictures and art that Fernando had done while he was incarcerated. And to be honest with you, the quality of his art was, and attention to detail is kind of outstanding. It was pretty good. I want to see that. And he actually only painted for a few individuals and refused to paint horror characters <laughs> for a very long time because he believed that painting scary imagery would damper his chances of appealing his conviction. Oh, yep. my and, uh, for So most not killing of, children and raping them, scary art. Yeah, and most of Fernando's known paintings are tribal, given his Native American heritage, and uh, all of his, or mostly all of his horror-themed paintings are owned by Death Row Art Show. <laughs> and that is the case of Fernando Arales Caro. That's crazy. Well, guys, I think we are we're going to be creating a Facebook page for sure. As soon as I'm done recording today, I'll get that Facebook page up. So it will be up and going by the time anybody's listening to this. So it will be um, Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime Podcast on Facebook. As far as the Instagram goes... I'm not, I don't think we're 100% sure on what we're going to be naming that, so next episode we'll release the name of that, but friend us, communicate with us, check us out, tell your mom, tell your friends, tell your mom's friends. Tell everybody, we're coming at you. Bye-bye. Later, guys.